Hey friends, welcome to the Everyday Mulemanship Podcast. My name is Ty Evans, and I am so glad you're hanging out with me today. I hope the world is just amazing wherever you are today. Hopefully you're getting some time to get out there and enjoy this fall weather. Oh my gosh, uh, you know, this fall has been something special. Uh, I don't remember a fall lasting this long and having weather so beautiful. Um, also, it's been a long time since we've been able to be home in the fall. And uh, this year with my kind of crazy schedule flying back and forth everywhere and not necessarily being on the road with the rig and the mules and the trailer and the truck and everything, um, it has made it so we can be home. You know, my sister decided to get married this year. And at first, uh, it was annoying <laughs> because, um... She decided to get married right in the middle of my fall tour. Usually we hit the road in August and we stay out until the end of October, beginning of November. And she decided to get married back in September. So it kind of threw a little wrench in the traveling and I decided that I would fly this fall. And that's what I've been doing. Um, I'm sure if you've been listening to the previous episodes, you'll, you'll, you'll have been caught up on that. But, you know, it has turned out to be a blessing. So now I need to thank my sister. And, and I, I, I doubt my sister has ever listened to my podcast. But, sister, if you're out there listening, thank you so much for deciding to get married in September. <laughs> because it has led us to be home. Uh, I, I get a ride at home every week. And, oh my gosh, the fall colors are so incredible. Um I know the audience here, you guys are from all over the world. We've got a lot of listeners in the U.S. and a few in South America and in Europe and Australia and everything. But my gosh, my favorite fall colors are, we call them quakies. Um, you might not know what that is. An aspen, a quaking aspen tree. And their leaves initially are yellow and then they turn just vibrant orange just flaming look like flaming trees out there it is so cool and you contrast those quakies with the beautiful pine trees we have a lot of spruce and and that kind of stuff and along with the oak brush which is orange and our maples which our maples here are kind of reddish and pinkish and oh my gosh it's been so beautiful and we've got some amazing rides in this fall um if you want to see some pretty colors jump on our facebook look up ts mules and sky's been doing a good job of taking pictures and videos and posting them on there but just some amazing fall colors so hopefully you're getting out there too uh, those of you here in the northern hemisphere um you're getting a chance to enjoy the fall colors and um i guess those of you in the south you're just going into summer so Anyways, uh, it has been a lot of fun. So, for this episode, you guys, I want to talk about our latest clinic in Cripple Creek. And I really wanted Sky to be here with me, um, but I'm actually recording this in Texas. Um, I'm getting ready to do a clinic here in uh, Tatum, Texas. starts tomorrow. Um, and I just didn't get a chance, because we were out riding in the mountains, I didn't get a chance to 
ropes guy into jumping on the podcast with me. So you just get me today. But I got a lot to talk about. Although I'm in Texas, I'm going to be talking about Cripple Creek, Virginia. Um, what an amazing clinic it was. Mulemanship on the trail. So mulemanship on the trail is unique. You know, most of our clinics, um, they're little, uh, you know, three-day deals where you you either you do a foundation class maybe or a mulemanship one, mulemanship two, or a cow working. Those are the four primary clinics that we put on. And um, this particular clinic in Cripple Creek, Virginia, is mulemanship on the trail. So we take everything that we learn in the arena and we do it out there. It's amazing how many folks have such a hard time comprehending how to apply the stuff that we teach in the arena out on the trail. Um, it is crazy how many people open that gate to the arena when we're done with class, and it's like they didn't listen to a thing I said, and they they walk out of it and just uh, have all kinds of trouble, and they they don't know how to put to use the things that we just just worked on the things that we just learned they don't know how to do it so this clinic in cripple creek is mulemanship on the trail so we get to spend three days working through whatever whatever each individual needed out there on the trail so as we rode things would come up and there's lots of different things i'm going to talk about but things would come up and we'd address them um and i told the group their favorite thing, though, although the writing, the writing was amazing. Uh, the fall colors in Virginia were just spectacular as well, and you know all of the writing was great, and we had a good time. I told them all that probably their favorite thing in the clinic was actually going to be our morning fireside um, conversations, as Christina Bailey would call it. Our uh, morning roundup um and uh it was it was great so every morning i had all the participants gather around the fire which was easy because it was chilly every morning you know that fall little frosty bite uh which i just love if you have a fire to sit by <laughs> anyways you know it, it was so nice we just sit by that fire warm up and uh our host Nancy there, um, we had the clinic at her camp, uh, Triple C, there. And Nancy loves to cook. And so everybody kind of pitched in some groceries. We'd cook. By we, I mean they. I didn't cook a thing. <laughs> but uh, you don't want me to cook anything, I promise. But uh, she'd cook for us. We'd sit around the fire, eat breakfast, and... And we'd start by talking about our goals. And I had them tell me a highlight from the day before and something that they learned. And it was just really fun and and really meaningful to have these conversations. I wish I could do it at all my clinics. You know, it just it's not applicable when I got, you know, 15 or 20 people there. With 10, that was the limit uh, at Cripple Creek. 10 people, it's manageable. Um, and you know, a lot of these folks were really thoughtful and I asked them, what was your highlight? What, what, what did you learn? 
a lot of them had some great insight and things that they picked up were so meaningful and some of them were kind of just surface level a bunch of them said you know my highlight was was the day you know it was a great day and i'm like okay come on go a little deeper um we all know all of our highlight is the day it's so pretty we all get it give me something deeper but most of the folks they did go deeper and the highlights were were amazing and they were really giving their mule some credit and that's what we all need to do more is give our mule some credit it would be really healthy for all of us every day to you know after we ride if we can reflect back and say what was my highlight of this ride what did i learn if we ask ourselves those two questions at the end of every ride i think our mulemanship journey would make a big change for the positive i think it'd be pretty neat you know and um this is actually something i'm going to be doing with my master class coming up we got the master the mulemanship master class starting in january and the folks that did the premium plus class that's the the one with all the coaching every week when i do the check-ins i'm going to ask them what's what was your highlight of the week what did you learn and this will get them thinking and i can't wait to implement that for the mulemanship master class uh for those of you listening that have no clue what i'm talking about uh just jump on my website tsmules.com click on mulemanship master class and it talks about it there but uh it's it's going to be really fun and i've taken all these things that we do in these clinics like this highlight and learning talk that we have and, and everything else i'm going to implement that but this was this was my personal highlight it was being able to do that every morning with with the individuals um talk about the highlight of the day and for a bunch of them it, it was a relationship change it was a breakthrough that they had with you know the mental side of the mule or maybe the physical side of the mules you know maybe they got to maneuver better um maybe they just got along better um you know i gotta give give a shout out to our host nancy you know she she was so generous in sharing her her breakthrough with her mule danny you know initially i was supposed to ride her mule danny i flew in of course i don't have a mule they won't let me take it on the carry-on you know on the plane and and everything so uh i was initially gonna ride danny and i ended up riding a, another mule uh connie price's mule kenya which i was so grateful for and i'll talk about kenya in a little bit but i was supposed to ride danny nancy's mule and last minute she decided she's gonna ride danny which ended up being an incredible choice that she made for for the positive it was so it was so great so nancy's had some trouble with danny last year she she had a well she's had multiple wrecks on this mule uh where she's she's fell off and and uh, got hurt one way or another broke this or that you know and and she's been trying to get this mule broke really having a tough time at it and this week in cripple creek was was life-changing for her and danny it, it, it was amazing the, the change and you know nancy's been coming to clinics for years but i think she's kind of just cherry-picked um what i mean by cherry-picked this is common there's a lot of people that come to clinics you know they, they come and learn from me and then they they go to another clinician and another clinician and um 
or, or they take this idea and mix it with this idea and nothing wrong with that. However, a lot of people like me, you know, you got a process that you kind of go through and, and you kind of got to immerse yourself in these processes to actually make a, a, a big difference. You got to kind of stick to a process and, and try to hang in there. And, and, you know, there's all kinds of processes. I'm, mine's not the only one out there that works. There's there's a lot of folks out there doing a lot of great things, and they have their process. And, you know, you, you need to do it. You need to go through the whole thing and really work at it to make a, a big change. you got to kind of dive in head first. Whereas if you just kind of tiptoe around it or just pick your favorite cherries off the tree and, you know, uh, you don't quite get the whole experience, the whole change. And anyways, Nancy finally dove in. She finally stuck with it. She's been working hard. She's made some incredible changes with Danny. And uh, their weekend together was so great. And and these morning meetings, Nancy got to share that. And it was it was really inspiring, really enlightening. And, you know, I hope I hope the others really listened to what Nancy had to say you know, about her changes and the things that she was working at, because I tell you what, it was, it was so incredible, you know, really incredible. Um, the changes she's, she's made, but it takes work. You guys, if you're going to make these changes, you gotta, you gotta get out there. You gotta ride. You gotta work at it. You gotta put the time in. It's not just pounding miles down the trail. You gotta work at it. So there's a lot of people that get out on these trails and, and they, they ride hundreds and hundreds of miles. I, I have friends that ride thousands of miles in a year on their mule. Like they put in, these endurance riders especially, which is what Nancy's kind of into, they put so much time and miles in. But what are you doing in the miles? That's what makes the difference. And that's what we're talking about here. Nancy finally saw that it wasn't about pounding miles on Danny. It was about what she did in those miles, what she worked on in those miles. Uh, there's, there's an old saying, wet saddle blankets. That's all you need to get a meal broke, wet saddle blankets. Well, it's, it's what you do to create those wet saddle blankets. It's not just putting in the miles and the time. It's what you do in those miles and time that make the difference. Nancy finally got it. And the change, uh, to quote one of her songs, (laughs) the change in the mule was real. Uh, but I would also say this, the change in Nancy was real. You know, you, you if you want to make external changes on the mule, meaning physical changes, you want to get your behavior going, you need to make internal changes within yourself. And that's super important. So good job, Nancy. Um, a, few, a few common little things that we worked on through the trail ride that I thought would be worth mentioning on here. Maybe you guys can pick something up from this was was going downhill uh a lot of the mules uh, uh, actually a majority of them had a hard time rating speed going downhill they wanted to rush they wanted to be in a hurry they didn't want to kind of go the speed that the rider wanted to go multiple people had a hard time with this uh christy kovner uh, and her mule jasper um especially uh, this meal she was riding would would rush downhill for sure but mostly because he he wouldn't carry himself balanced he would just kind of throw his feet and just chuck them downhill and that needed some addressing and there's a few others that were kind of working at the same thing 
but I kind of wanted to talk about Christy and Jasper a little bit here. Um, you know, going downhill is a real issue for a lot of people. Um, I get a lot of emails, a lot of questions about problems going downhill. And, and a lot of wrecks happen because people can't control their mule going downhill. The mules get going too quick and and they can't, uh, they just can't stay balanced and they want to run down that hill. Number one, number one reason why the mule wants to run downhill, you guys, is because they lack the strength to hold themselves and balance themselves. That might sound funny because you look at their muscles compared to, you know, ours and they're massive, you know, these, these animals are massive and got so much muscle, so much muscle, excuse me. Uh, this guy's going to make fun of that little twist there. Um, but you got to build that muscle. They need to learn how to balance. My favorite move for teaching a mule to balance and get back on its haunches, which is the part of the body you need for going downhill, is roll the hind roll front. You roll those hind quarters, you get a good break over. So you basically you've shifted weight off of the hinds, and now you put it back on the hinds. So that change in shifting that, that weight within the mule, it does so much good to teach that mule how to use its hindquarters. I, I highly encourage you, if you're having a hard time going down hills, work on that. Another thing that you can do a ton to prepare, and this is, I'm, I'm giving you some stuff initially here, to prepare you so that you don't have trouble going downhill. And then I'm going to tell you how to fix it in just a second when you do have trouble. But to, to prepare your mule, so those of you listening, especially with young animals, these young colts, Get your mule good at shifting weight. Roll the hind roll the front. The next thing, if, if you can't control your speed, your transition speed on flat ground, <laughs> why do you think you can control it when you're uh, when you're on the hill, you know, or coming down a steep mountain? It's amazing the folks that have the trouble going downhill, and I ask them about transition work, which is a huge glitch in so many so many of our, our mulemanship and horsemanship skills, so many people don't work on transition. The trail rider is the most guilty. Um, because, you know, hey, I just go down the trail. Why do I need to work on trotting and loping? I just walk. Well, we got to work on these speed controls. Can you slow your mule down? Can you speed your mule up? And remember, the, the better you can speed them up uh, with accuracy and the better you can slow them down with accuracy... That is like installing uh, this gas pedal, like in your in your car, where it is is accurate. It's like being able to set your cruise control accurately, and it holding there. So we need to be able to do that on the mule. Basically, we need to install this cruise control, basically, to where we can ask them to go speed and they'll maintain that without you having to hold them back or kick them forward. So transitions are huge. If you, if you can't, like I said, if you can't control the speed on flat ground, why do you think you could control the speed going downhill when you have the law of gravity fighting you and your mule wanting to pull you down there? Especially on real steep stuff, you know, where I'm at, right in the middle of the Rocky Mountains. Everything's steep, everything's up, and everything's down. you got to have that speed control lined out. You know, the other thing that really helps build those hindquarters and helps your mule go downhill better is actually backing uphill. Now, you can't go ask your mule to back up a really steep hill. That's not going to work for you. Um, but you can build some muscle backing up 
some slight gentle inclines to build those hips you want them to be able to hold themselves back you got to get be able to shift onto the haunches you know along with that backing uphill you know these baby hills what i'm talking about is being able to pick up a soft feel you know that's when you gather both your reins you 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 add a little pressure evenly on both reins and you want the mule to to flex vertically at the pole and kind of tuck their chins what it would kind of look like a little bit but that's if you can get a hold of them like that and be able to pick up that soft feel and have the mule give back to you there that's a nice little neutral position to put the mule in when you're in these situations so those are all things to do to prepare so that you don't have the issues when you're on the trail on those hills coming down those steep mountains okay now what do you do if you didn't do a very good job preparing okay if you've if you've uh, missed the boat you didn't prepare now you're out there on the trail and you're trying to fix this stuff up what can you do my favorite thing above all to teach a mule to rate and come down hills with some organization is the game of thirds so let's take the example let's say you know, like like here at Cripple Creek, we were dealing with um, some really small hills. They're really gentle, small hills, not super steep. Actually, the perfect type of hills to work on this game that I'm talking about, this game of thirds. So let's say you have a 60-foot hill, okay, that you're working your way down. If you can start from the bottom, that'd be best. That's for the best results. Starting from the top is more challenging. You can do it. But it's more challenging. So if you can start from the bottom, that's going to be best. Now what you do is, you let's say you go up the hill um, 20 foot. And you don't even have to go up that far. But let's say you go up the hill 20 foot. Okay, Then you turn around and you come back downhill. And then you turn around and go back uphill. And you go up 40 foot this time. So now two-thirds up the hill. Then you come back down 40 foot. And then you go all the way to the top the next time. Okay, and then now you're at the top, you're going to go down 20 foot and then back to the top. Down 40 foot, back to the top. All the way down. Now, on that second half, when you're working on the downhills, you know, from the top there, or anytime you could implement this, I suppose, but especially coming down from the top, anytime your mule rushes or loses their balance and began, and begins to let gravity overtake them, you're going to, you're going to, Turn them around, so you'll try to turn them parallel on the hill and then get them facing back uphill, and you're going to ride them back uphill. So I'm going to teach the mule that every time it speeds up and, and doesn't hold itself, when it's not engaging its hindquarters and it's not engaging that self-carriage, when it's not doing that, I'm going to turn the mule uphill and put it back to work a little bit. It's going to be harder for them. As long as they're carrying themselves with some balance, we can go downhill I'm going to let them go downhill. And anyways, I'll do this over and over. Now, like a lot of things, this is a very effective method. However, you got to put in the rounds. Like doing this once or twice is not going to fix this stuff. Now, hopefully, you're doing the things that I, I have already previously mentioned to get your meal prepared to go downhill. But when you're in the mix of it, 
this is how you can work at it. So you got to be able to put in those rounds. It's going to take you a little time. So that's my favorite way to get them coming downhill. There's a few other things you can do. Um, another another one that's really effective, if the terrain allows for it, which a lot of steep stuff, the terrain may not allow for this, but if you can do it, is well, every time the mule speeds up, you're going to turn them parallel on the hill. So now that they're, now they're kind of horizontal on the hill there. And I'm going to, I'm going to, pick up a soft feel and if I can I might back them up if I can't back them up I'll at least turn horizontal on the hill like that and I'll just pick up a soft feel there and then I'll go again um, if you have a decent handle if you can pick up a soft feel while you're riding and you can actually back them up decent another simple thing that you can do every time your mule begins to rush and now make sure you underline that word right there begin when you feel them getting ready to rush and by getting ready i mean they're losing their balance they're letting gravity take over if you can catch it right there before they get going fast now let me say if they get going fast what i'm about to say will not apply you'll have to go back to the previous of just turning them horizontal but if you can be timely and you can and you can be ahead of them and you feel them begin to surge and lose their balance at that point if you can stop them right there and make them back uphill, that would be really beneficial. Then you're saying, hey, you know, go downhill nicely if you're going to you know, let gravity take over and just flop down the hill, then I'm going to make you back up the hill a little bit. And I don't, I'm not going to do multiple steps. I'll just pick up a soft feel there and, and try to back them up a step or two and, and then go on again. But I would do a lot of that if I need to to, to be sure that they're getting the hint that I want them to carry themselves. But that's that's really the key. It's not so much a behavioral problem, you guys, as it is a physical problem. You know, you want them to go downhill better, build the hindquarters. We've talked about the hindquarters a lot on previous episodes, and I'll just keep hitting on it. Uh, probably for forever, you, you can hear it a lot more, you know, uh, a lot more times here, many more times. Um, so, anyways... Christy Kovner worked at that with Jasper, and I gotta I gotta give Christy a pat on the back. and And I'm talking about Christy Kovner. She was a guest um, on the podcast on the last episode, episode 169, and uh, she was awesome. Her and Christina Bailey um, joined me for that episode. You gotta take a listen. They they are really cool people. But that's Christy I'm talking about. Um, she worked hard. I, I absolutely love when you guys come to my clinics and you work. In fact, Christy worked so hard and she was practicing so much that I finally told her, okay, how about you just ride a little while? Just just let Jasper have a little bit of a breather. Go ahead and ride a little while and just ease up because she was absolutely dedicated. And I love the way Christy thinks because her point of view is, hey, Ty is in town. He only comes to Virginia, you know, once or twice a year, if that. So I'm going to use them. That's her mindset. And she did use me. She asked great questions. She worked hard. She got some help. And she really engaged me, which was which was just wonderful for me. I, I That's why I do it. That's why I do what I do is people like her and Nancy and these other folks that I'm going to be talking about here coming up is these folks that just work hard and get so much out of the clinics. That's why I do it. I love it. You know, I, I'm hesitant. A lot of people want to book 
these trail riding clinics, these mulemanship on the trail clinics with me. And I'm hesitant um, because I, I, I can only do it in areas where there's a dedicated group of people um, that are really engaged in this style of mulemanship, that really want to be better. Because I tell you what, I can't tell you how miserable it is for me to <laughs> just come ride down the trail and nobody asks me questions and, you know, you know, uh, yeah, I... I need I need that I need those questions I need people to work I need people to do stuff It's not enjoyable for me just to come ride along You know I mean nothing against the people I'm riding with I just You know I'm there to help I'm there to help And I'm serious about it And I'm I'm sincere about it And Christy took advantage of that So good job Christy uh, I mentioned Christina Bailey there too um, This was her fourth clinic in a row uh, with me, uh, meaning like literally in a row. This the last four weeks she's been riding with me. In fact, I'm getting ready to start a clinic down here in Tatum, Texas, like I mentioned earlier, and uh, was joking. I'm like, hey, it's kind of weird not not having you here. You know, it's having a clinic without you here. <laughs> you know, she's it's been nice. I've been using her mule as a demo mule the last four weeks, and it's been really good. But this was the the last clinic that she she's coming to this fall, and. Uh, you know, her and her little mule, Ellie, they've made just incredible progress um, in four weeks. Well, in, in the year that I think she's had it a year or whatever. I think she's had it a year. Um, she's made incredible progress. It's been so fun to be a part of that journey. Um, but, you know, without sharing too much detail, Christina shared an incredibly inspiring story at one of the morning firesides about overcoming challenges in her life um, and, you know, tr trying to just be a better person, trying to be a, a, a yes person. And that was, that was the, really the highlight for me um, from her, her talk that morning was saying yes, being a yes person, wanting to be better, wanting to improve and positivity is so important, you guys. You, you, you need to be positive in life. Um, Sky gives me crap because I'm I'm uh, overly optimistic for sure. And Sky is much more of a of a realist. She just is, you know. Hey, let's face reality. Me, I'm like, you know, there's clouds gathering. You can hear the thunder rolling, and I'll be like, Nah, it's not gonna rain. It's not gonna rain, you guys. Don't worry about it. But I'm overly optimistic, and I think that has really helped me with my mulemanship, though. And Christina talked about some things that she's done to become a yes human. And that positivity, you guys, is it's really incredible. Um, one thing she mentioned, and, and I've heard this lots of times, but it's good to talk about it again and, and say it again, but you know, you, you become who you hang out with. You're the product of the five people you surround yourself with the most. And she was explaining this. If you if you surround yourself with people that are full of anxiety and scared of everything and worried, you're going to become anxious. If, if you're around people people that are that are positive and optimistic, and or you're around somebody that's a hard worker, um, you're around somebody that's negative, 
Uh, you're around somebody that is a downer. You're around somebody that's lazy. Who, whatever you surround yourself with, those people you surround yourself with, you are going to become like them. So it's important that you have people in your life that you want to be like. And that could be anything from, you know, we're talking about, you know, mulemanship and horsemanship here, I guess. But it, it could be anything. You want to be successful in business. Find somebody successful to be around learn from them you know if you want to be uh, uh, you know have a closer relationship with God surround yourself with somebody that that is that is doing that that is working through that in their life you know whatever it is be around those people and that is so important and so incredible and you know that's actually one of my favorite things about doing these clinics with all of you is you guys get to come for three days, and you get to surround yourself with people that are just like you, that want to be better with their mules, their horses, their donkeys. They want to improve, and they're willing to work for it. They're willing, they're willing to work at it, you know, and to surround yourself with that positivity. And I really try to bring a positive mindset to the clinics and, and let you guys know how, how much I appreciate you and how much your mules and your horses appreciate you being here, even though that's kind of, you know, it's an abstract thought and, and everything. But but really, they'll be they'll be grateful in the long run that you took the time to to do this, um, to be better. So, anyways, Christina Bailey, thank you so much for that talk uh, on that last day of the clinic. It was so inspiring, and I hope. Everybody else in the group was really paying attention to you because it was just amazing. Um, another little uh, moment that I just need to mention was uh, there are some cattle out there in those hills. Um, you know, I guess it's a forest service permit or whatever. And and uh, I was riding Kenya. Now, Connie Price has had some trouble with Kenya in the past and in fact has got her uh has, has spooked at some cattle in the past and of course um the the ground caused Connie some pain and uh, <laughs> you know it's not recommended to to hit that ground uh, and her Connie and Dara uh one of Connie's friends were giving me crap a few days before this Cripple Creek clinic and in fact Dara said I'll I'll pay I'll pay big money to see you work cows on Kenya, and Connie's like I want to see that I want to see you I can't wait to see you and they're kind of saying it at least this is how I heard it maybe they weren't but I heard it in a little bit of a challenging way uh, I heard it in in a a little bit of a condescending way like yeah you're not gonna be able to fix it big boy you know and and uh, of course me uh, challenge accepted. <laughs> so I'm gonna, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll help the mule. You know, somebody's got to help the mule. Might as well be me. And and so uh, when we got around the cattle, um, I was trying to get Connie to pay attention, and she wasn't paying attention much. So I kind of got after her a little bit about that, and I I wanted to explain to her um, how I'm gonna do this. I wanted her to watch, but. One thing that's common that I see with folks working around, you know, working with anything that Mule is scared of. So it could be cattle, it could be water, it could be a tarp, uh, 
it could be an alpaca, whatever, whatever your mule is scared of. This is the most common mistake is folks trying to make them, they're making them get, get, get toward that or go toward that scary thing. Okay. The second most common mistake is, is survival by avoidance, which is what Connie has been doing all these years is survival by avoiding the problem. And I guess that'll get you along a little while but me i don't want to leave any skeletons in the closet you guys if my mule is worried about some stuff you know today may not be the day to address it but i'm gonna address it at some point we're not going to just ignore it and have it go away there's there's something that we need to do to help that mule that mule's got a got got a got an issue there that we need to help it through i want my mule to be successful i want my mule to be a winner I don't want my mule to have this fear. Okay, so, all right, we come across some cattle. So the first thing I go, I do is actually take Kenya further away from the cattle. Now, she was not so terrified that we couldn't get within, oh, it's probably about 50 foot of the cattle, okay, before she'd actually show some kind of fear. So what I did right off the bat is take her away, further away from the cattle, and I just got her a little bit busier. So I just started loping some circles, trotting some figure eights. I just started engaging her physically and mentally. So I was trying to bring things up mentally and get her a little engaged, build a little bit of anxiety in there, um, add a little bit of confusion, a little bit of commotion, a little bit of stress. And then at the same time, I'm, I'm adding physical pressure. So I'm making her uh, heart rate come up. I'm engaging her physically. She's moving her feet faster. Um, we're moving, we're working. And I did that away from the cattle. And then as we started going toward the cattle, well, at some point I let her ease off and I took the gas pedal off basically as we were going toward the cattle. At that moment, I would just let everything down and leave her alone. So she was getting her rest near the cattle. And we actually got a video, uh, Sky tried to video me, um, and I'm going to voice over it for you guys. It's going to be on the video library. Um, here in the next week or two i'll get it on there for you guys there's lots of new videos on that video library by the way so um those of you that are subscribed to that log in watch some of those videos there and those of you that aren't subscribed go to tsmeals.com we have 330 something videos now uh there's so many videos on there that it'll take you a long time to watch them all but anyways we'll have this on video this this little session i'm talking about but Basically, I'd engage the mule away, and I'd leave her alone the closer we got. And when she got where I wanted her to be, the pressure would come off. When she pushed on me or resisted there, I would actually take her away. So instead of making her go to the cattle, I let her go to the cattle, and I will actually physically take her away from the cattle and put pressure on away, making the cattle the desirable place to be. Anyways, long story short, by the end, I was pushing the cows down the trail a little bit and uh it was it was so good to help a mule through this tight spot you, you really want to help them mentally you know any issue like this and like i said maybe the day that it happens when they're scared is not the day for you to fix it up you kind of got to be in a, you, you got to have yourself right to get the mule right you know and, and connie was in no right mind to help that mule in fact it was a little bit of a negative connotation to it where 
you know, they actually didn't seem to think that we could actually get this done. And you got to be positive. You got to be like, yeah, I'm going to help this mule. I'm going to do this. Not that you that you're going to make the mule, but that you have a, a positive attitude that you can help them. You're going to help them. You don't want to leave this skeleton in the closet, like I said. You want to help them. And so it really felt good to help that mule. And that was one of, another one of my highlights that I wanted to talk about on here because it was it was something special, you know. So hopefully you guys enjoy that video. Um, something else that come up was a whole bunch of gates. And if you listen to the to the Cripple Creek debrief from last year, we talked about it then too, but oh my gosh, there's a lot of gates on Cripple Creek, you guys. And last year I made all ten people open up the gate and go through it on their own. At every single gate. I made them open it up one at a time, go through it one at a time. Uh, this time, I changed it up. This time, I had one person open each gate. And so it, we would just take turns. You know, the first gate, this person would go. The next gate, this person would go, and, and so forth. And everybody everybody got multiple turns to open a gate. Everybody opened multiple gates. And the interesting thing about this little round was I had them open the gate, but then I had them stand there and hold the gate open. Now that was the challenge. Opening the gate was really not that big of a deal, but holding it, holding it open for all of us while we all rode past, that was the hard part. Most of them could figure out how to open it. There's a couple that had a hard time opening the gate, but the majority of the group opened it no problem. But also the majority of the group had a hard time having their mule stand there patiently while everybody passed them. So next time you're out on a trail ride and you got to open a gate, as long as it's not one of these gates that are out west, you know, out west all the gates are these wire gates that, you know, you got to have some muscle to, to open and close, you know. Um, but if it's a gate that you can open off the back of your mule or your horse, try holding it open for everybody else off of your animal as they pass by you. It is a challenge for all of them. It was something to work at, but... That was a highlight for a lot of people I know there. They they enjoyed that challenge. It was definitely a challenge. And um, anyways, we all got plenty of practice of that for, for dang sure. Uh, something else that come up quite a bit, which is typical for every trail riding clinic we do, was herd bound. Now, this is this is common. You know, this is, uh, you're all going to deal with this if you ride uh, long enough you're going to deal with an animal that's herd bound they're all herd bound it's just a matter of how bad okay it's just a matter of how bad and, and uh, what's going on there but yeah one, one individual Kathy there she came along with her friend Laura and Kathy's horse which is actually Laura's horse but she was riding it for her um, was super herd bound to Laura's mule okay and wanted to be, wanted to rush to the front and and be near that mule. So so this horse, this horse had a lot of had a lot of confidence issues, you know, being able to handle itself and be on its own. And Kathy is a pretty quiet lady. She's been to a few clinics now. She's been to, oh, I think she's been to four clinics now, four or five, something like that. And she's a quiet lady, keeps to herself. She doesn't ask a lot of questions. And so I was kind of worried at first, uh, actually, because she's so quiet. I'm like, I, I hope she asked me something. I hope she, 
you know, uses me here on this trail riding deal. And, and she did. She ended up using me a lot. And I was grateful for it, for the work, you know, grateful for her to, to ask me these questions. Um, but her horse wanted to rush. So what do we do about it? The problem that Kathy was having was this horse didn't have any skills. So he he really wasn't handy at all. Like, I mean, you basically could just get on and go forward. There's there, there no handle. The horse didn't know how to stop, how to back up, didn't know how to leg yield, side pass, didn't know how to move the hind quarters, move the front quarters. And, and that was that was the biggest issue with her dealing with this herd bound. Like I said, all of them are herd bound. It's just how bad and how well can you control it. Well, if you don't have any skills on that horse to be able to keep it centered, how are you going to keep it centered? Remember, we've talked about this where, you you know, I have you guys, when you come to the clinics, imagine riding your mule or your horse inside this rectangle-shaped box. There's a line in front of you, a line behind you, and a line on both sides. And it's our job to keep the mule or the horse in between these lines. But you have to build those lines. They don't just magically appear. And you build those lines by teaching your mule or your horse some skills. Being able to move them, stop them, speed them up, slow them down. All these things, that's how you build the line. She didn't have any lines. <laughs> so, so long story short, Kathy worked her butt off building lines while you go down the trail now this can be done she did it and i've done it lots and many other people have done this you don't have to have an arena to teach your mule and your horse some skills and i've told many of you you know you can you can build these skills out there on the trail in fact i think it's a great place to 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 build them it's really a great place to build them and she did it the whole time she worked through a multitude of moves rolling the hinds lateral stops roll the hinds roll the front she got to where she, she was leg yielding. It was kind of a, a leg waller, but she was kind of going sideways, similar to a leg yield. She was working on uh, flexions. She was working on a soft feel. She was trying to work on that speed control. So she worked the whole time. And honestly, you guys, that trail riding, that is the best place to work on this stuff. You have natural flow to it. A lot of animals, when you're riding in the arena, they lack forward and impulsion. They have a hard time um you know holding that energy there and out there on the trail you can create that especially when they have a little bit of a herd bound drive like this horse did uh you can you can really work at it so good job kathy i hope you're listening and i appreciate you working your butt off um i kind of on this little podcast here i kind of want to mention everybody if i can um you know uh, Another another highlight, um, you know, for everybody was the co- the camaraderie. You know, the, being around people that want to be better and lift you up. And I've kind of mentioned that already a little bit. But I have to give a shout out to Alicia. Um, she just smiled and was so happy the whole time. She rode... Um, she rode a horse a couple of days, and she rode a mule a couple of days, and she was really just, really just immersed in the whole, the whole experience. And I told everybody at the beginning of the clinic, I said, "You got three days here. You don't have to think about work. You don't have to think about the farm at home and the kids and the husbands and the wives and the, 
and the um, job and you know the business and everything else just focus on your mules and really immerse yourself in you and your mule in, for three days and Alicia took that to heart and I just enjoyed watching her work um, you know she was just she was just happy to be there and I enjoyed I enjoyed having her there uh, Judy and Sweet Sue. Um, Judy did back-to-back clinics, like a lot of these folks. Uh, Alicia did back-to-back, and Connie and Nancy and Christina and Christy. And uh, Judy also did back-to-back, Natural Bridge and Cripple Creek, Virginia. And Judy had a heck of a time in Natural Bridge. She had a hard time there. Sue, the first day, was kind of kicking out and wanting to maybe buck a little bit. And Judy really handled it well. And she worked hard those three days there. And it paid off. And she had a great time out there. Her and Sue did did so well out there on the trail. And, um, you know, some of them just do better out. And she said, I just feel like Sue does better out here. Yeah, you're, you're right. Sue does do better. She did do better. And that's wonderful. But I give Judy a challenge. And I challenge any of you that, have that same comment i want my mule the same everywhere i go i want my mule to be the same whether i'm out on the trail whether i'm pulling a pack string whether i'm up on the mountain whether i'm working cattle whether i'm riding down uh, just the, the the county roads here at home um whether i'm in texas or virginia or utah or washington or wherever I want my mules to be consistent. That is my goal. It's hard to achieve, you guys, because you'll have some mules, you know, and I, and I deal with it when I take these rookies. I, I take these rookie mules, these babies. You know, every year I kind of like to haul a new a new one if I can when, I, you know, when I'm driving, I guess. Uh, and, and I'll have a mule in the beginning. It'll be good in outdoor arenas, but then you go inside and it has a hard time, or vice versa. It'll be good inside, but then hard outside. You go out on the trail and it's a challenge. Or you, you know, every week changing it up is a challenge for that meal. But eventually they line out because I be as consistent as I can be. Everywhere I go, they can expect the same thing from me. I have the same standards everywhere I go. I have the same expectations out of, out of the behavior of the meal, how I want them to feel. I want them to feel comfortable. I want them to have peace. And that is the thing I try to produce for them everywhere that I am, that I have them with me. And I try to provide that, and it, it pays off. So that's the goal. And so I, I challenged Judy to, I'm like, all right, well, your meal's good out here on the trail. Let's get it good everywhere. She said, okay, well, we're going to work at it. We're going to take the meal to some events. You know, I, I give this advice to a lot of people every year. Even if you're not like into rodeo events or shows or barrel races or team ropings or cuttings or 4-H deals or rodeo club deal or whatever, even if you're not into it or you're not even entered up in it, take your mule down there and just at, at minimum tie them to the trailer and just let them be out there in all that commotion and you go watch the show or whatever's going on. If you can, maybe time to the arena fence if it's applicable. If it's applicable, sit on them during the whole show. 
if it's applicable, maybe go do it. Maybe push yourself. And even if you have no desire to actually compete, maybe you're not into whatever is going on. Hey, go interrupt for fun. You know, uh, most of these deals aren't, you know, they're not too expensive, these little shows and things. And Go take them out. And those of you listening that just show, there's a lot of folks that just show that don't ever go outside. Go outside. Like this time of year, the fall is so beautiful. Saddle up. Go take a breath of fresh air out there in this beautiful fall weather. Go look at the leaves changing. Go go look at some deer and some elk and go enjoy God's creations out there. Get out there and enjoy some nature. You know, take a big breath and uh, diversify yourself uh, and your mulemanship. Go different places. So good for you. So that was my challenge to Judy. Um, I need to mention Shannon. Um, she she had a, a nice mule there, Savannah, who I've actually ridden. Uh, I use her in my clinics um, when I go to North Carolina. And Savannah's just a sweetheart. And the most common thing I get when I post pictures of me riding Savannah or Savannah at all is people think her tail is fake. They say, do you have a fake tail on that mule? That mule has the most gorgeous tail of any mule I've ever seen. It is just beautiful. And, uh, but Shannon, Shannon had a good, good clinic, you know, pretty low key, you know, she had a, a few little things she worked out some rushing things, but, but the last day, um, Savannah kicked out at another animal, another participant there that kind of rode up on him and Savannah kind of kicked out. Now, this is something that a lot of you have dealt with. And so I just want to address it. Shannon immediately kind of went into schooling on Savannah, which is to be expected and not necessarily wrong. But she went to school in honor, you know, just moving her, rolling the hinds. Um, maybe she bumped on the reins a little bit too much, you know. And maybe she kicked a little too much with her legs. But she she went to schooling on the mule. And it was a little longer than it ought to be. Here's the hard part with this. A lot of you have been there. Your mule, maybe it's you that got kicked and you want to retaliate. You want to get after them. Now, yes, you do need to do something. But honestly, in all reality, you guys, after your mule has done something, it's now too late to do anything about it. And this is a hard one to swallow. This is a really hard one to get. There's different times where you do need to engage your mule, make them work. I don't know if the the right phrase would be get after them. But there's a time that some of those things are necessary, to, but they're to prevent further behavior at that time. For example, say my mule is you know, got a hump on its back. It feels like it's fixing to buck me off. Okay. I'm going to move those feet. I promise you, those feet are going to be busy. I'm not, you're not going to catch me just sitting there like a bump on a log. You're going to see me engaging those feet. If I feel that in the mule, I am preventing, or I'm trying to prevent that immediately, that, that immediate behavior that's, that's going to happen right quick. I'm not doing I'm not getting after that mule, so to speak, 
so that she doesn't buck me off tomorrow or the next day. So I'm not trying to teach her a lesson. I'm actually trying to keep the mule out of further trouble. I'm trying to help that thing. Now back to the scenario. The mule kicks, okay. That's tough. You're pissed off. You're maybe maybe you're embarrassed. Your mule kicked another animal or person. You feel bad. I've been there lots of times. You feel bad. You get after your mule. The reality is you're too late. You should have done something as you felt that mule getting bothered. And this is why awareness is such a huge key. You know, you should have been aware of that. Um, one of my favorite little Ray Hunt stories, and I heard this third hand, so I don't know. You know, it, it may be embellished. It may be exaggerated. I don't know. But I heard this third hand was somebody said to Ray Hunt, my my horse keeps biting me. What do I do? My horse keeps biting. What should I do about that? And Ray Hunt's answer was so simple, yet so complex. And he said, endure the pain and don't let it happen again. He didn't say, oh, well, you should retaliate. You should punch that thing in the face if it's trying to bite you. You should rip its head off, you know. That doesn't mean it's all going to be roses and sunshine to fix this up. And he, he may dang sure block that animal if it goes to bite him. He's not going to let it happen again. But he's not going to punish the animal for doing it. That's the problem with punishment is it's late. Especially with these animals that lack a frontal lobe. They lack abstract thought. They have a hard time putting two and two together that Oh, I kicked and now I'm getting punished. That's really hard for that animal to understand. They're so momentary. And so, anyways, I kind of talked to her about that. And and she, she, she knew that, too. She said, yeah, I'm sorry. I just... And she was a little upset about it, honestly. She, she was kind of disappointed in how she reacted there. And um, I said, well, same thing with you. Just, just deal with it and don't let it happen again. You know, and, and that's kind of how you have to go. Sometimes sometimes you might do something you regret, you guys. You might get after a meal. And believe me, I'm speaking from experience. You you might do something you're like, oh, man, I shouldn't have done that, you know. Well, that's the great thing about <laughs> repentance and forgiveness, right? We can, you know, we can repent there and don't, don't do it again, you know. Uh, try to be better next time. You're going to mess up. You're going to mess up. And it's it's all right. Just don't mess up the same way again. Mess up a different way. And uh, anyway, so that was a an important lesson there. And hopefully, hopefully, uh, yeah, hopefully, maybe that will help you and will help your mule. The last fella in the clinic, but not least, is Clint. Now, Clint was was the only guy there along with me. Um, and I was sure glad to have him there. You know, Clint is so, so just inspiring the way he thinks. I, I really like talking to Clint because he's he's thoughtful. He thinks. He asks some great questions. He asks very insightful questions. And, and really that's going to help him learn the most. Figuring out how to ask questions. This is this is such an important piece, and I'm trying to get better at it myself. But if you can ha- figure out how to ask good questions, you're going to learn more. 
If you figure out how to ask your mule more questions, they're going to learn more too. And, you know, Clint, he came there um, with some things he wanted to do and some things he wanted to work on. But a few things that he showed up with, um, he was lacking. You know, a lot of the moves, some of the basic moves, roll the hinds, he wasn't actually getting a break over. So we had to work through those those maneuvers. You know, you have to have these basic pieces. You have to have these ingredients going nicely if you want to do the next step. If you want to do the next part of this puzzle, you got to have that going nice. And that was a you know a big a big takeaway. Hopefully that he got from the clinic was was how to do some of these maneuvers. And you know, let's face it, you you got to get some coaching on this. And this is the big reason why I'm doing that master class for for you guys next year those of you that are joining me is so that i can give you a continual coaching because he was like oh my gosh i've been you know the last clinic he came to was virginia last fall so it's been a year since he'd been to you know or almost a year since he'd been riding with me um before and and he's like oh my gosh i've been doing this a year and i've been doing it wrong for a year and that is disappointing for sure. If you're working at something and and you thought you had it, and then you show up and you're like, "Oh crap!" You know, I've been doing it wrong for a year. Are you kidding me? That's why I'm doing the coaching, you guys. That's why I'm doing that master class to to help you guys. You know, get that coaching immediately so that you're not going a year doing something incorrectly. You know, but he worked dang hard. Um, you know, he's he's dealing with a, a, a gated bred mule the mule's feet is just you know just just rapid fast that mule walks out so quick and and uh he was dealing with some spooks one of my favorite moments of the clinic there's this little small little gravel hill not even a hill just just a little mound of gravel you know a dump truck mound of gravel okay and i decided to climb up over that hill just you know just kind of go over and I kicked all the gravel with, you know, with the hoofs there and it made the, that gravel and hoof noise, you know, and this scared Clint's mule pretty good. So the mule wanted to whirl around and take off. So the first part of this, I would come up over the hill and I would tell Clint, just go ahead and ride and, and don't try to block the mule necessarily, but go ahead and ride and uh, kind of go with the mule for a minute. So we're kind of giving the mule... A way out here that, that there's not it doesn't have to stay we can go but we're not going to just let it run off i'm going to have him direct the mule and, and he wrote it and, and kind of made it lope a little ways so he's not just letting the mule tear off and run he is riding the mule with some purpose but he's giving the mule a way out now this is kind of the way of the mule's heart okay or to the mind really the next part of this okay we're going to roll the hinds. So we're still giving the mule a way out because the mule's initial reaction to something fearful is to go. It wants to move. As humans, when we have issues, problems, situations, we want to trap it. We want to contain it. We want to stop this whole thing. And um, not the case for the mule, right? They need to go. They need to move. So now the next step is we let the mule move, but we're going to let it move particularly. So this this next step, I had him roll the hinds. So he's move, he's letting the mule move, but it's going to be with some directed, um, you know, movement. There, it's not going to be just flying down the down the trail. Okay, so he got that going, and I I had him work both sides to where he he kind of had some some sidelines built. 
the next round, you know, and this went on multiple times, you guys. It's not just three little tries. This is multiple times here. But the, the next part of this deal was actually blocking the mule on both sides. So instead of going into rolling the hinds or letting the mule bolt off to the side, now he's holding the mule. So I come up over the hill. The mule scared wants to blow. Now he's using his outside leg and his inside rein to actually hold the mule in place. And once the mule stops, he, he relaxes and, and leaves it alone, letting the mule find that center position. And um, anyways, this was effective. And as you guys are dealing with things that you, maybe your mule wants to you know, take off and maybe bolt like this, um, if you can go through this little process, first you go with the mule, then the mule goes with you, and then you go together. And that's kind of the process I just showed you right there, or I just explained to you right there. Uh, you can utilize this for anything that, that gets that mule's, um, you know, fear up that, that comes to you, comes towards you. It could be like a dog. It could be like, you know, a bike, you know, whatever, a backpacker, you know, out on the trails, hikers, you know, that kind of stuff. Anyway, so Clint did a great job. You know, he went with that mule really nicely. And that's something that's really hard is that first part of that puzzle, going with the mule, everybody wants to shut him down. And you really have to train yourself, yourself, I'm saying. You have to train yourself to override that uh, that desire to block him and, and pull on him. you got to override that. you got to beat that desire. Don't, don't, don't do that. you got to go with him first. And this is all working with the mule's mind. All, overall, it was just amazing to be with all these people. Those 10 riders did such a good job, all of them. Um, this, this clinic is already full for 2023, and we already have a, uh, a wait list for 2024 started, um, which is halfway full already itself, the wait list. Uh, so an incredible clinic, a great time. I enjoyed every bit of it, especially the good food, <laughs> great food, great people. Um, I really just enjoyed riding out there and, and taking the time to deal with the stuff as it came up, you know, deal with with these things as they, as they come up. So it was a good time. Um, now let's take a little bit of time here and answer some questions, okay? So... Um, I got two questions. No, I got three questions here. First question comes from Jared Mayer. Hey, Ty, thanks for the information on comfort for the mule. He's referring to my newsletter. So he's Jared is a subscriber to our newsletter. If you're not a subscriber to the newsletter, go to my website, tsmules.com. There's a little pop-up. It'll just pop up right on your screen that says subscribe to our newsletter. I send out training tips, videos, uh, coupon deals. Um, I send, uh, you know, like I just sent out our uh, announcing that our 2023 clinics are now up online there. Um, articles, all that kind of good stuff. Um, so anyways, the, the question is coming from this because I had sent a, a little article out about um, providing comfort for your, for your meal. So he says, hey, Ty, thanks for the information on comfort for the mule. Along those same lines, I had a question for you. I have often heard you talk about the mule learning to self-regulate. I tied my mule up 
away and out of sight of our horse the other day. I left him for a while in hopes that he would settle down. He never did settle out that day, but just wondering what you recommend to work on for them to self-regulate. I've heard you say when you tie them up, they have to work that out on their own. This is the mule's biggest problem is self-regulating, and I believe it extends into a lot more than just being tied up. Thanks in advance, Jared. All right, Jared, good question. So, yeah, th- basically self-regulating is... is uh, Teaching the mule, or you can't really teach them. They have to do this on their own. This isn't something you can make happen. You can help it along, but you can't make them do it, okay? But basically helping them along to learn coping skills. They have to learn to cope. they got to deal with these things. This is a process. This isn't something that they just get. Now, if you would have asked me what to do about a mule uh, that won't stand tied um, and gets all worked up, if you would have asked me 10 years ago, I'd say leave them. <laughs> we'd leave those mules a long time. I'd water them at the hitching rail. I'd feed them at the hitching rail. And I'd just leave them there until they sort of things out. Now, what I realized that I screwed up on so many animals so many times in the past, and, I'm, and I feel really bad for it now, is basically I got a lot of animals just to shutting down. They never did get over it. They just got to shutting down. And that's too bad. These days, I don't do that. These days, this is how I get a mule to stand tied. So I'm going to address that first, and I'll talk about self-regulating a little bit more. These days, I teach the mule in, in short little increments of time to, to learn that um, we don't have to be here forever, basically. So instead of just leaving that mule tied for hours, this is, this is how I do it. And I, and I do this now with my babies, my youngsters. I have some youngsters now that stand tied better than a lot of my older mules just because I'm doing things different these days. But I'll tie them up for five minutes. And whether they're good or not, tie them up for five minutes and then put them back. And tomorrow maybe six minutes. And then then maybe seven, then maybe eight, then maybe ten, then maybe twenty. You know, uh, and I just build up over a long period of time. And... It's amazing. After just a little while, you guys, they just stand still. It It's amazing. And, you know, I don't like to use the word hope when I'm talking about mules because hope is kind of an abstract thought. And, you know, we know the mule doesn't have a, a large frontal lobe that is uh, responsible for, like, us having hope. But it seems to kind of fit because the mule knows that there's going to be an end to this. That there's not, you know, they're not going to be here forever. And initially they think that. You tie them up and they're actually possibly in flight mode. Now, it's critical that before you ever tie a mule up, you teach them to lead very nicely. That's very important. Teach them to lead well before you tie them up. Then I like to put them on a high line. Then I implement what I'm talking about here. Short segments of time. Because it seems like, you know, for lack of better words, they do kind of get a little hope that, hey, this isn't forever. I'll stand here and, you know, I'll get put away in just any time. And it's kind of the anticipation that we've talked about. Anticipation, you know, anticipation for the most part with your mule is a good thing. I like my mules to anticipate. I want my mule to anticipate that they'll be able to go back 
to their corral with their buddies at some point. I don't want them to think, this is the end, I'm going to die here on this high line, on this hitch and rail, I'm never going to make it. You know, <laughs> I uh, kind of want them to anticipate that they, that they will go back soon. And I just build a little out of time, Jared. That's all I do, and it's worked really well for me. Um, and it might seem contradictory to a lot of uh, industrial age horsemanship, you know, where you kind of got to make them and break them. Uh, you know, the the thought that, no, don't you untie them until they're holding still. Now, at some point, once the, the, there's a little routine and, and they learn that, you know, to kind of stand there fairly decent, well, sure, if they're pawing, I'm not going to put them away. So my older mules, for example, uh, like I got, okay, let's just say, Riata, she's seven, okay. Um, she's seven-year-old, so... If she's pawing when she's tied up to the hitching rail, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to just go do some chores. I'm going to go mess with another meal. I'm going to go have lunch. <laughs> I'm going to go grab a cold Coca-Cola and sit there and watch her. I don't care. I, I, I won't put her away while she's pawing. But she has went through this process and understands whatever that level of understanding is, you know, that, that I, that I do expect some patience there. And I'm patient enough to let her sort that out. But it, it started back when she was younger, you guys. That's the, that's the main thing I'm trying to get at is the short increments of time when you're working on a mule that really has a hard time waiting, you build like that. Good question, Jared. Um, and, and really the self-regulating is, it goes along with everything I just said, you, you know, Something that I would add to this is I would make the tying up a, a nice rest time. So let them, let them alone there. So, for example, I might do a lot of engaging work. Um, if you have an opportunity to work cattle and kind of work at a higher level, like do some cutting, if, if you can go lope some circles, if you can go do some obstacles, you can do a bunch of groundwork. But do some work and then tie them up. And let them let them stand there on their own. So, like, the, a great way to do this is say in the arena, okay, or it can be on the mountain in some meadow somewhere with a tree. I don't know, but do a bunch of engaging work. Get them kind of up. Get them kind of you know going, and then go tie them up. You get off them. Get away from them and let them stand there and and relax. And this may only last for. 30 seconds, a minute, two minutes, three minutes, four minutes, five. But you can do that. And that is a fantastic way to teach them that, hey, this whole standing tide business, it's pretty nice. This is a good deal. But so many people will just go catch the mules and tie them up. And I'm not saying that's wrong. But unless they know how to stand quietly, that's not going to be the best, most effective way to teach them to stand still. So do stuff first. Tie them later. Um, so after, maybe after your ride would be a, a great time to do that or, you know, if you can do it during. So good question, Jared. Thank you so much. Uh, next question is from Christy Kovner. We've already mentioned Christy today. Um, well, working in Cripple Creek, so she's actually asking about Cripple Creek. While working in Cripple Creek, you mentioned briefly that you did not promote loping uphill. You said that you wanted to go into more detail with the group, and if you did, I was not part of that discussion. Could you please expand on this topic during your podcast? Thank you for everything you have done uh, 
Over the last 10 days to keep Jasper and me centered mentally and physically, we are grateful for the TS Mules team. Thanks, Christy. Um, so, loping up hills, basically, it, it's a lazy way of doing things. So, especially if I see a mule that doesn't carry itself well, it's not balanced, it's not using self-carriage, it's not, um, you know, balanced in their move, like I said, lazy. It's a, it's a lazy way of doing it. And it might seem like it's more work to lope. It's not. A lot of them kind of get that momentum and they'll just lope, lope, lope up that hill. Uh, I want them to use their body. So I, I like working on that walk uphill or trotting uphill. There's there's much more engagement being asked in the walk or the trot while going uphill. And I like the self-carriage that is kind of induced there for sure. On a side note, when you're preparing mules like I am for kids, preparing them for novices to ride. They take up take off loping uphill, and some kid ain't ready or some novice ain't ready. I've seen so many people fall off loping uphill, and that's just a side note. I mean, you know, you know, like your experience, Christy, and a lot of these listeners are experienced. It's not that big a deal. And if you got to lope uphill to go get a cow or something, I'm saying that's fine. But I see a lot of people that kind of just let their animal lope up hills all the time. It is a lazy way of going. The mule is not using their body. You can use it so much more, uh, so much more thoroughly by walking or trotting. Good question. Okay. And our last question is from Scott Stewart. Now, Scott is my host down in uh, Wickenburg for the Boyd Ranch, Boyd Ranch Mule Days. Uh, I can't wait to go back. That clinic is up on the website. Come ride with us, you guys. I can't wait for that clinic. Um, and the Mule Days. Great riding out there. Great time. Another good place to have some good grub. Okay. So Scott says, Haley is doing good. That's his mule. The person I got her from didn't do any groundwork, and while I rode her last spring, including your clinic and after, it has shown me where the holes are in her training. So since it cooled down here, like I said, he's in Arizona, I'm back to the groundwork to try to fix things up so I can put the polish uh, on the riding. Number one, uh, one of her problems is she walks really slow. On the ground doing circles, she walks really slow. I'm having trouble on the ground speeding her up. I can speed her up under the saddle, but she won't hold it long. I'm thinking if I get her walking speed up a bit on the ground, she'll walk out faster for me under saddle and won't, and I won't have to remind her so much. So, Scott, we've talked uh, a lot in the clinics and previous podcasts about teaching the mule just how to walk. So, it sounds like Haley has just been babysat a lot, meaning she'll probably walk out like when you're riding because you're kicking her the whole time. So one thing that I would do, and you and like on the ground or in the saddle, is you you just teach them to walk. Don't don't ask for a faster or slower. Just just teach them to go. Now you got to do whatever you got to do driving wise to actually get her to walk. Okay. But once she is walking, you leave her alone. And no matter how slow she's walking, you don't drive her anymore. And as soon, and, and you'll be surprised because she's going to slow right down and want to just quit. It's, it's, she's not going to walk fast continually for you. Basically, not be able to hold that, even that slow speed. So you, you work at it like that a little while. 
and then you step it up. You know, if you're riding, you can step up to a trot. Do the same thing. Get her to trot. As long as she's trotting, absolutely leave her alone. Do not kick her. If you feel her slowing down, do not kick her. You do not drive her again until she breaks down to the walk. And then you can drive her. So you could do that on the ground as well. After you can hold the walk, just the basic walk, and after you can hold the basic trot, then you can start to expand those transitions a little bit. So that's where you start working on asking for a little bit more. Now that they actually know how to go, that's that's the next thing you can do there. Sorry it's so loud here. You can hear the cars here out, out front quite a bit. So if you can hear that, I'm sorry. But this is real life. Uh, anyway, Scott, that's how I kind of build it. Number two, this is the next question. Moving half circles. She does quite well at clearing the front and starting the circle, except for going so slow. But in moving half circles, after rolling the hinds, when we clear the front, she crowds me. I'm blocking the eye and even pushing her head away from me sometimes so I don't have to step back as she clears the front and goes past me. Looking for a tip to get her to give me a little more space. Uh, the main thing on this, Scott, on those moving half circles, and you guys can refer to the videos on our video library if you like to visualize this, but you really need to roll those hinds and, and have that drift going. So as that hindquarter drifts away, it's almost to the point where it is, you know, horizontal with your arms where the mule is basically facing you and the hindquarters is away from you. It's at that point that you bring the front. Likely if you're getting crowded, you're probably following those hindquarters or B, you're not getting enough drift rolling those hinds away from you to bring the front. I just posted a brand new video talking through moving circles and moving half circles on the video library. If you go to uh, tsmules.com, click on the video library, scroll down to the collection called Clips from Clinics, watch one of the latest ones from Virginia of last year, actually. It's a year old, but it's great. And, And I talk them through that. So good question, Scott. Appreciate you. Well, uh, that wraps things up. I want to give a shout out to our uh, our amazing sponsors. We got Western Mule Magazine. Ben and Nita Tennyson do a great job. Also, a shout out to Mules and More Magazine. Corey over there at Mules and More is does a wonderful job with that magazine. Really enjoy it. Have uh, been reading that magazine my whole life. And uh, also Colt Saddlery. If you're looking for a good rig, you guys look up Colt Saddlery. And, of course, Roman Homes, if you're looking for a nice wall tent, a unique wall tent, good wood-burning stove, these cold fall days up on the mountain, uh, those wall tents and those wood-burning stoves are sure cozy. So look up Roman Homes, um, Roman Home, and uh, they'll take care of you. So appreciate you guys. Thank you so much for listening. Um, can't wait to catch you on the next one. Uh, God bless you, and we'll see you down the road.